Welcome to A Universe of Stories, brought to you by the Tennessee State Library and Archives and the Library for Accessible Books and Media. Tricia Griggs is one of the many wonderful advocates working with Disability Rights Tennessee. She specializes in senior disability rights and not-for-profit organizations. Tricia is also a patron of the Library for Accessible Books and Media, and she really enjoys our book club. Today, she's in the studio with reader advisor, Rebecca Melvin. Let's listen in on what they're up to. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us, and welcome to another episode of A Universe of Stories. So today, joining us, we have Trisha Griggs of Disability Rights Tennessee. So let's give her a warm welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for coming. We're excited to have you. So what does Disability Rights Tennessee do? Just kind of like a general idea. Disability Rights, or DRT as we call it, is a nonprofit, legal-based advocacy organization that protects the rights of Tennesseans with disabilities. We have a staff of advocates and attorneys who advocate for people with disabilities in the areas of freedom from harm, freedom from discrimination, and freedom to participate in the community. And those are the three areas of our work that drive our work. Um, So we end up doing a lot of working on issues in areas, everything from special education to employment, abuse and neglect, and more. So, Okay. So so hearing you kind of give us a description of it, I can tell just kind of by the tone of your voice that this is something that's important to you. Yes. Um, How did you decide to get into disability rights? What kind of led you into this career? I've always wanted to make a difference and to give back. I had gone through some advocacy trainings, such as the Partners in Policy Making program that the Tennessee Council on Developmental Disabilities has, and I had advocated for myself my whole life, really. So I combined my personal experience with those trainings, and it became an incredible career, and I've done it for almost 17 years now. Oh, wow. That's a long time, but I think that's very rewarding for you, right? It, it is. It's, I really love my job, and there's nothing better than when I help somebody. One of my favorite stories right now is there was a gentleman out in the Memphis area. I normally work in just Middle Tennessee here, but we didn't have an advocate out there for a little bit, so I was helping with cases out there. And I had a gentleman out there that was a VR client, and he wanted to be a chef. And really, he wanted to be a baker, but he he would always say, I want to be a chef. I want to go to culinary school. And he was having trouble getting his VR counselor to get on board with that. They really wasn't sure that was right for him. But they never did a vocational evaluation for him. And so I got them to do the vocational evaluation, kind of brought out some points and policy that needed to be followed. And basically, the evaluation came back that that was a good area for him to be employed in. He went on to culinary school, the one of his choice. He was always on the deeds list, or most of the time. And then I recently heard from him, which is really kind of nice when they stay in touch and let you know what's going on. Right. So VR did help him through school and helped him find work. And he is a baker in 
a little shop in downtown Memphis that does cupcakes. That's absolutely fantastic. Yes, he's so excited, and I'm so happy for him. And that's just what he really wanted to do. And so when people achieve the job they really want, you might not have helped him find the job, but you were able to advocate for something he should receive, you know, a service he needed to receive to move on. That's what's real rewarding when right. you know you helped. Absolutely. In you've some made, way. You've made a difference in their lives. Right. I think it's fantastic. That's a wonderful story. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so moving along. So Disability Rights Tennessee has been a part of several important court cases in Tennessee, including the Lane versus Tennessee and Brown versus Tennessee. Can you tell us a little bit about either of those cases and their impact? can't speak too much to their to their impact or or anything like that I can talk about the systemic level those landmark cases show how we regularly take individual issues from one person and create a systemic change so that individuals in the future don't have to experience that kind of discrimination the Lane case was about accessible courts so that made it possible for all the courts in Tennessee had to become accessible and so people didn't have to crawl upstairs anymore, didn't have to be carried upstairs, things like that. Um, so that's kind of the impact of that. But we're very proud of those cases for that reason. We also know that this type of legal action is not always necessary. At DRT, we try to resolve everything on the lowest level possible. For example, we don't jump to file a lawsuit if we can first resolve that issue on an advocacy level. That's a tool that we can use that's just as effective, you know, in broad systemic change. So take a student's IEP, or Individualized Educational Plan. If their IEP isn't being followed and they need an ABA or what is known as an Applied Behavioral Analyst, but the school won't provide it, we've worked with school systems directly in those situations to explain the benefits of ABA therapy for students with disabilities. And in one case, the entire district hired their own ABA therapist and created new policies to use for ABAs regularly for these kids instead of contracting with the specialists. So they had their own in some cases. The approaches that we take in each case are different, but we always are identifying trends in the calls and the cases that we take to find larger issues. Because if you can resolve an issue systemically or on a wide scale that affect a lot of people, then you don't have to do it one by one by one. And you can make a better impact of change for people. And just another example of it, sometimes we find that we have to file lawsuits. It's unfortunate. But we, at times, we've exhausted all the advocacy efforts that we have. Anything that's not legal, we're, we've tried to resolve it that way and sometimes we just can't. We had a deaf patient that needed heart surgery and he wasn't getting effective communication or communication that is equal to other patients. So this term comes from the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, and people who are deaf are a protected class within that law. 
And this means that when they go to the hospital, for example, the hospital is responsible to provide auxiliary aids services to ensure that they are receiving effective communication. This can mean like a sign language interpreter. It can mean several other options that are available. But he just wasn't given any effective communication at all. And that was very scary for him. But we just didn't have any other options. Since we couldn't resolve it through advocacy, we had to file a lawsuit. Right. So do you still feel like you are fighting not just for individual rights, but for the rights of all citizens, which is kind of what you were talking about, Mm -hmm. making sure that everyone has equal rights and equal opportunities? Right. Yes, we we do. If we can, sometimes we'll take an individual case, for example, and we will see, maybe we've traced the trends over time and seen this particular issue a lot over and over and over, then we know that we have a systemic problem. It's affecting lots of people. So then we can take that one case and resolve it for that individual, but at the same time, we can try to resolve it systemically too. In some cases, what we've done in our effective communication work, we found that we might resolve an issue for a patient or a person who is deaf that's going to the doctor and telling them this person really needs an interpreter. Maybe they also have a visual impairment and the video remote interpreting service they're providing isn't necessarily going to work because they may not be able to see the screen either very well, but they're better with an on-site interpreter. So we'll advocate for that. And sometimes we see that over and over and over. So what we've done is try to do trainings and things for these big medical associations, trying to inform them about the law and what should be done. And so when a person requests an interpreter, they really need to provide it or whatever the means are. They can provide whatever means or method of communication that they want, but it has to be effective for that individual. So that's how we can take it individually to systemically and really try to infiltrate the system, you know? Yeah. So your website also has a place where individuals can contact you if they feel that they are in need of your services. What happens when a person contacts you with an issue that they need help with? Okay, when they call, they will work with one of our intake advocates and that person will ask them questions about their issue They'll get all kinds of pertinent information from them. And then after that, our review team will review it and they'll determine if we need to open it as a case or not. So the individual is either going to get a referral of who can help them best or it's going to be opened as an advocacy case, most likely. So one of the two. And then if they're opened as an advocacy case, then the advocate will contact them and we'll begin working on the issue for them. Awesome. One of our most frequently asked questions from our community is about support animals versus service animals. Can you tell us what the law says about the use of service animals versus support animals? Absolutely. (laughs) This seems very common. I know it's Mm -hmm. it's a topic that has been argued about online a lot, and they've mentioned it on TV and things, just because they feel sometimes that people are abusing the idea of a service animal and what that actually means and what it should mean. So I'm very interested to know the legal aspect of it. We do trainings on this a lot. So a service animal is defined in the law as a dog that has been individually trained to perform work for the benefit of a person with a disability. 
and you heard me right, it's a dog. All service animals are dogs except in the case of the miniature horse, if a place of accommodation can accommodate the miniature horse, then they need to do so. That's in the law as well. Wow, a miniature horse. I wonder mm -hmm. why that is the only substitute. <laughs> I am not certain. Um, I, I do know that people who are blind use both dogs and some of them use miniature horses. Wow. I don't know if miniature horses are trained to do work for anyone else or not. I do know that they are trained to help people who are blind navigate. Even though miniature horse is not in the definition of service animal, it is covered if there's room for for the animal. So that means all your birds, cats, pigs, everything else is not recognized as a service animal when it comes to titles two and three of the ADA that difference in, in the types of animals. The other difference between service animals and support animals, because you know support animals could be any of these things. Right. They are allowed in housing. They may have to have documentation showing that medically they need the animal. They can have it in their house, but they can't take it out into public. One of the big differences is, is that the service animals are trained to do the work. A support animal is not trained. It's just, when they say, when I hug my dog, it calms me down. That's a support animal. It is not a service animal because that animal's not been trained. Now, if that animal has been trained to do something that pulls that person out of an anxiety attack, a meltdown, you know, specifically trained to do a specific task that helps them with that, then you've got a service dog. So when you go into a place of business, they can ask two questions. They can ask you, is this a service animal? Is this a service dog? And they can ask, even if you say yes, they can also ask, what task is the dog trained to perform for you? You need to tell them. They cannot ask what the nature of your disability is, and they cannot ask you to have your animal demonstrate what the task that it does for you. So if someone has a guide dog and they go into a place and say someone just doesn't understand, they can't ask him, well, we'll have him guide you over there to that chair. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. Right. And there are many people with hidden disabilities that you cannot see. And so they look like they're bringing their pet dog in, but they're really not. Some of them are, they're trying to abuse it. But say people who have epilepsy, they have seizure alert dogs. You wouldn't be able to tell that animal is trained to do anything, but he or she is. It's trained to either alert the person that they're about to have a seizure, they do something specifically to tell that person, hey, you need to get in safe space. Or sometimes they're trained to put them in a safe position and sometimes they're trained to go get help or they could do all of that. So it just depends. And you see a lot of veterans now coming back with PTSD. And I actually heard of an example on a webinar, I think it was last week, that a dog could be trained to go ahead of the person so they're not attached to the person by a leash, but they may go into a room to make sure that that room is safe, that environment is safe for, for its owner. And then the dog will come back out and lick the guy on the hand or the woman on the hand to say, yes, it's safe for you to go in. Things like that. So they're trained to do those things. Right. And do you think it's important for people to understand, making sure if they are bringing animals out, 
They're not just support animals in cases where maybe those animals, you know, react aggressively towards different people in public, which might make it harder for people with service dogs to go out in public without having the stigma that they might not be trained correctly. The thing about aggressive dogs is that you cannot have an aggressive dog in public. You can have dogs that can perform protection, but it's non-aggressive protection for people. But you cannot have an aggressive dog out in public. I've known people over time, people who are blind that have guide dogs, the guide dog would get really aggressive and they would have to be retired because you, you just can't have that. You can't have them hurting others and, and things like that. They need to be able to get along with the public and interact with people. So if you have a real aggressive dog, and believe me, I've seen dogs that have been very trained, and if the owner allows that dog to get out of its training, it can get real aggressive. I can tell you what, if they were trained professionally, they weren't trained that way. You don't have to have your animal trained professionally. The dog can be trained by you, the individual. So you don't, there's no standard for that. But if it was trained professionally, it won't be aggressive because they would never let it out in the field if it were. Right. That's something to notice. And if they are aggressive, that means they're out of control. And I've seen it, you know, where they've let their animal get out of training and do what it wants. And they've bitten people in public and things like that. And you can be asked to remove your dog if they're posing a direct threat like that. Or if they're disturbing the nature of whatever business or service you're in. For example, if you're in a movie theater and the dog starts barking its head off and won't stop, they can ask you to take the dog out. They have to allow you to come back in to enjoy the rest of the movie if that's what you want to do, but the dog can't stay. So that's one reason they can ask you to leave or ask the dog to leave actually. <laughs> or if it's not housebroken, they can ask <laughs> you to take it out as well. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, that seems like a... A good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and they have accidents. Oh, I was completely mortified. I was meeting a friend in the airport, and I tried to get my dog at the time to go to the bathroom. I must have taken her out three times. She wasn't having any of it. <laughs> we get to the airport, and we're walking down the concourse, and right before we meet my friend, what does she do? <laughs> she goes to the bathroom right in the middle of the concourse. I have to clean up, and I have to call and ask for the janitor to come and help mop it up and right. stuff. But I have to clean it up and get it taken care of because she was my responsibility. But I was so mortified. That'll happen. <laughs> they could have asked me to leave, though, because how else would they know if she's housebroken or not Right. <laughs> if she doesn't do it? You just have to be like, no, this isn't normal. She's just a little nervous. Yeah. And they're usually pretty understanding I about would, that sort of thing. I would say I would say they have to be just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Everybody has accidents, right? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> okay. Is there some common knowledge that you think our patrons would benefit from knowing? Just generally speaking. As in if they have an issue? Yes, ma'am. Okay, a lot of people don't really know what to do when they're being discriminated against. You know, when you're in the moment, it's really difficult. But when you feel that you're having one of these issues that might result in you needing to work with someone from an agency like ours or an attorney, there are some things that you might want to learn or think about doing. And that would be learn how to communicate as best you can. Be direct in what you're asking for, what you want or what you need. Try your best to stay calm when the situation occurs. 
and be respectful. And be sure to document everything. One of the first things I learned as an advocate is if it's not written down, it did not happen. Mm. Take down the names of the people you spoke to, the one especially who told you no, what they did, what they said, the day it happened, and keep any paperwork that's associated with the situation, like any letter that tells you that they can't provide an accommodation. Or if you have a student with an IEP, keep it, make sure you have it on hand. A lot of our vocational rehabilitation clients that we assist will not have their IPE or what is called their individualized plan for employment on hand. Some of them don't even know what it is, but they need that because that's the document that says what they need to have. So keep any associated paperwork like that. If the situation lasts through several conversations over several days or months, keep track of all the information. That way, if you need to work with an attorney or DRT or some legal service agency like Legal Aid, you'll have the information that they need to help you. Wonderful. So, does your office have a busy season? I think we stay steady now most of the year. It started taking that turn where it stayed steady, but there are a couple of times a year I notice where we get really busy, and that is when school is getting ready to start, say August. It could be July, August, August, September, and when school year ends, and that's like in April and May. These are pretty busy seasons for us because the education advocates are getting swamped, client assistance program or CAP advocates are getting swamped because they're the ones that help the VR clients. So if they're, especially if they're going to college or some other kind of training and this is when it starts and stops, we get busy then too with them. And VR clients? Vocational rehabilitation clients. Okay. They're the ones that VR is assisting them gain employment and they provide services that they need to level that playing field. Okay. So if I were a person that needed help, need a little bit of assistance, what would be a very good time to contact your office so everything is smooth? Well, when you find that you need assistance from us, call us. Don't wait because some issues have timelines that, you know, if we're talking about an ADA issue, if you're gonna file a lawsuit, it's a year. Some issues are 180 days. If you're a VR client, you've got 30 days to appeal a decision. So if you're having any kind of issue, don't wait, call. Let us know that you need our assistance. You can either call our phone number, which is 1-800-342-1660, or you can fill out our Get Help form on our website at www.gethelpatdisabilityrightstn.org. Fantastic. Well, these were wonderful questions. And I know that we've talked a lot about your organization and what amazing work you guys do. And it was fantastic talking to you about that. But because we are a library, mm-hmm. and I'm a librarian, mm-hmm. before we end this session, I have to ask you, What is your favorite book? To be quite honest, I love sci-fi and fantasy, especially fantasy. Oh, cool. I don't know that I have a favorite book because I have so many (laughs) favorites. I love the Harry Potter series. I must have read all seven books, I don't know how many times, plus The Cursed Child. 
There's an author that I love named Kim Harrison that has the Hollow series. I have read all 12 of them multiple times. Mm. I love Kelly Armstrong. I'm still making my way through her books, but I love all of them. And whenever they go up on Bard, I instantly download them. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, so, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry I won't narrow it down to one because it's no. just impossible. <laughs> the fact that you mentioned Harry Potter is enough for me because I also <laughs> love Harry Potter. We can talk about that any day that you want to. Awesome. <laughs> we were so glad we got to contact you guys. We really appreciate it because, I mean, we love to get the word out about us and we just want to help people. Right. And I think this is a great way to, to do that. And I'm really glad you're here because I feel like this is going to benefit our patron base so much because I don't think they realize just how many rights that they have. And I don't think they realize what is actually out there for them. You know, the different things that people can help them with to make sh ensure that they're receiving the services and things they need. Right. So I think it's fantastic. I know that we kind of provide that a little bit, mm -hmm. but I know that there are a lot of people that need a, more. They need a, um, a more solidified group of people, you know, that can advocate for them. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And I am thrilled that so many newer books are going up on, on Bard and things. Oh, good. Um, because, you know, when all the latest books would come out, you'd have to wait. I know. And wait. And wait. You know? And with the technology these days, I mean, I am thrilled that they, they put those up there and that we can read them and enjoy them with everyone else. I have all kinds of books on my wish list. So do I. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll ever get to them all, but I don't care. I just kind of go through and then I'll pick one I really want to read. And right. Like I said, Kim Harrison and Kelly Armstrong get top billing with me. I can tell, you know, from reading some of the books, I'm missing some. So... Yeah, I, I just, my problem is, is I want to stay home and read. I know. Instead of going out. And, I love going out and hanging out with my friends and doing things, but I don't get out enough. But I'm glad to hear that you enjoy books. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you came over. We really appreciate it. Our effective communication work also can help people who are blind, people with speech impairments. And I know that we don't see very many effective communication issues with people who are blind, but I did have one once. It was incredible. I had a gentleman that lived in an apartment in Murfreesboro. They would put those print leaflets on your door to say maintenance is coming by on such and such day to do this or the exterminator's coming or whatever. Right. Well, he would never know what the paper said. Right. So he, he asked the apartment manager, can you please email me this information or call me, leave me a voicemail. I really don't care, but can you do it that way? You know, they wouldn't do it. Really? They would not do it. And he had to call us over something that simple. We did contact them, of course. You know, when you contact an apartment complex, they always bring in their legal team. But in the end, we were able to resolve that on the advocacy level and get them to email that to him. That's almost, that's honestly sad, though, that it something is. so small, just a courtesy to another human being, right. they turn it into this big legal deal because they just couldn't be bothered. Right, and that's what frustrates me is as we're working with individuals, we try to teach them to self-advocate. When you teach them something, or even if they know it on their own, and they try to self-advocate, they can't get anywhere. And that's what's frustrating, because he knew what to ask for, and they wouldn't do it. And it was so simple. They just could have said, sure, we can do that. But this was a long time ago. 
I started working for the agency in 2002. And this was like around that 2007 or 8, maybe. Things are a lot better today than they were 10 years ago. What do you think the difference is? I think people are, are learning. All of us advocates, you know, our agency is part of a national organization of agencies just like us. We're part of what's called the Protection and Advocacy System. And there's one in every state in U.S. territory. And so our agency is the one for Tennessee. And you have those advocates. You have advocates in many other organizations. And we're all getting out there and trying to educate people. We're trying to educate people that we serve, trying to educate people that also serve, like your doctors in any public accommodation place. We're, we train them as well. And we're delighted when we can get in front of individuals with disabilities, which is more rare. But when we can do that, we can teach them self-advocacy and what to expect, what to know that they have a right to. But they also have responsibilities because you can't be an effective self-advocate if you don't accept your own responsibilities in addition to the rights that you have. Right. And I'm sure it's sometimes intimidating because, I don't know, I mean, mm -hmm. even just me at a restaurant, if I get a soup instead of a salad, there's a part of me that's like, nah, you don't want to, you don't want to cause any trouble. Just, mm -hmm. just, just enjoy this, you know. Just, right. Let's just try to figure this out. So <laughs> I, you know, and it's almost harder when you're, when you know you're being treated unfairly. It, it, you know what I mean? It's almost, it's hurtful. It's tough. It is. It is hurtful, and, and it's tough to advocate for yourself. Trust me, I advocate for people every day, <laughs> and when I am faced with it, it's difficult. I do it but I'm not comfortable. It's really hard to be a self-advocate. So when you can do that, know that you're doing something great. Well, thank you so very much for being with us today. We absolutely appreciate you giving us your time, and we're so grateful for the service that both you and your team provide to customers, patrons everywhere. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to A Universe of Stories, and many thanks to Trisha Griggs for all of her information and patronage. Once again, to contact Disability Rights Tennessee by phone, please call 1-800-342-1660 or go online at www.gethelpdisabilityrightstn.org. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.